There. Okay. Testing one, two. I got it. Okay. Sorry about that. As Steve said earlier, yeah, computers. <laughs> computers. Uh, some of you who, who uh, haven't been uh, uh, with us in the last few weeks have been going over and taking a closer look at the essentially the Bible definition of who and what the church is. Uh, and today I'm going to look at a, a lesson that Jesus taught that gives us more insight really into who the church is, but more importantly, as we've been learning, um, how to be a member of it. That would be important, wouldn't it? How to be a member of the church of God, right? And, and probably more important than that, um, I'm going to be emphasizing Jesus today and thus His church because where Jesus is, there is His church and we want to be with Jesus. Amen? Amen. We want to be with Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bible, and, and I want to look at this, and this, this is something that, that is a little bit introductory, I know, uh, probably for many of us, but that's still good, isn't it? Um, in John chapter 10, this is where I'm going to be coming from, and, and I'll encourage you, I'm not going to read uh, the, you know, verses 1 to 30, <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, you can read that, you're familiar with it. Uh, Jesus is telling a parable here of the Good Shepherd. And uh, he's talking about the fold, and he's talking about the flock, he's talking about thieves and robbers, and he's talking about the door, he talks about the hirelings as well. And uh, there are a lot of lessons. I mean, I could spend, I could do a seminar on uh, John chapter 10. But that's not the emphasis today. I don't want to go through all of it. We're going to look at some symbolism and stuff that he's talking about. But where I want to, where I want to begin, um, um, keep your finger there in John <laughs> chapter 10. Uh, I want to start in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Now this is a very common text, uh, especially for Seventh-day Adventists. It better be uh, for all Christians, but especially for those who proclaim to know the three angels' messages. They better be very familiar with Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3 and verse 15. It's a text that has great meaning. Now, some people have read through that and go, well, yeah, you know, that's a text, Bible text. But we really need to dig into it. It has a lot of meaning to it. Um, it's a text where God, well, that is Christ, essentially. It was Jesus, is addressing the devil. Uh, now, before I get into that, just an emphasis here or, or maybe some uh, advice. You better not get into a discussion with the devil. Okay. None of us should decide that we're going to get into a discussion with the devil or with evil spirits. Amen? Amen. Uh, we're getting into the time of year where the world gets into that spiritualism and stuff. We're not to do that. It's very dangerous. Uh, you will be bested or worsted, however you want to look at it, um, if you get into this, a discussion um, with uh, evil spirits or with the devil. I have a friend who made that mistake. 
and now he has a deluded mind. And uh, um, he has actually become a false minister of the gospel when he was a true one before. So, and that's very sad to say. Friends, it's very dangerous. But God, in this text here, Genesis 3.15, God is speaking with the devil. And he addresses the devil directly, and God can do that. See? He says in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What does enmity mean? Yeah, hatred. It's a hatred. God is saying here, I'm going to put a hatred between you and the woman. Between her seed and your seed. There will be enmity. Now when God does something, it lasts. Well, it lasts for as long as God wants it to last. Isn't that true? Now I've preached for years about unity. People can say amen to that, right? Our disunity as a people has actually caused us to remain here in the world of sin for far too long. But we cannot have unity with everybody. You hear? We cannot have unity with everybody. It says here that there are going to be two classes of people in the world and there's going to be enmity between these two classes of people. Now they will take different forms and they may be organized in different groups but there's only two classes. Now I know all of you are Bible students. Isn't that right? All of you are Bible students. What does a woman represent in Bible prophecy? It represents a church, doesn't it? Now this is the first place that I know of in the Bible where that symbol is being used. Right here in Genesis 3.15. The woman represents the church. The Lord is talking to the devil and He said, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Well, Pastor Joel, what in the world does that mean? Isn't everybody in the world a descendant of Eve? Yes. Everybody in the world is a physical descendant of Eve. Right? But everybody in the world is not a spiritual descendant of Eve. Because Eve repented of her sin. In fact, you can read in Patriarchs and Prophets. You go in and you read through there. She bitterly repented. Her and Adam both bitterly repented of what they had done. But if you have not repented of your sin with a contrite heart, you are not a descendant of Eve spiritually. You are not part of the seed of the woman. You understand what I'm saying? The same symbolism is picked up again in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 12 and verse 17. This is again another scripture that is very familiar, especially to Seventh-day Adventists. Why? Because it's one of those scriptures that helps to define who the church is. Okay? Revelation 12 verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, You see where Genesis 3.15 and this verse come in together here? Her seed are who? Those which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus Christ is what? The spirit of prophecy. So we find here that this description, this woman that God is speaking about in symbolism there in Genesis 3.15 is a pure woman because it's God's church. She represents a pure church. And her seed are the people who what? Keep the commandments and have the spirit of prophecy. Now the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It's not just limited to one prophet like some people think. Okay? But it includes them all. It doesn't leave any of them out. So, there are two descendants. There are two lines. They're, they're here being described are two groups, two classes. There is the seed of the woman, that is the true church, and there is the seed of the devil, that is the devil's church, also referred to in Revelation as the synagogue of Satan. And there is enmity, God said. God placed it there. Now friends, that should give us hope because that tells us if we're of the seed, God will place supernaturally an enmity within us for the devil and sin. You follow? This isn't an enmity that we can put within ourselves naturally. God has to put it there. You see what I'm saying? There is an enmity, a hatred. And you'll never be able to bring unity between those two groups because God said He was going to put enmity between those two groups. They're never going to have a backdoor deal. They're not going to get together and compromise. If there's a compromise, you're not compromising. You've become a member of one class or the other. Well, if you compromise the truth, you become a class, the synagogue of Satan. Now, the devil's been trying to wipe out or erase or destroy that enmity ever since the Garden of Eden. But it's impossible for him to do it. But one day soon, beloved, we have the promises of God that God will destroy that enmity when he destroys sin and the devil. Because there's not going to be enmity in heaven. And praise God for that. But right now it remains. And I want you to see that there are two groups and that there is enmity between those two groups. Okay, There is the church, the seed of the woman, and there is the seed of the devil. Now, how can you tell the difference? That's very important, isn't it? Because we don't want to be the seed of the devil, do we? We want to be the seed of the woman. Now see, the devil's been trying to hide or camouflage the enmity between the two classes in order to get you into his church. That's his goal. See, He wants to be able to present to all creation that human beings have chosen him as their leader and this is his church right here on earth. So it would be unjust for a just God to destroy him. See? That's his argument. So how can you tell one church from the other? Ever since the Garden of Eden, you could tell the, uh, this issue in this controversy, you could tell it, because the basic issue has always been the same. Who can tell me what the issue is over? 
great controversy, the enmity is over the law of God. That's what it was in the beginning. Now we know in our studies that the law of God is a reflection of the character of God. And so the enmity, the argument, is over the character of God, which is embodied in His law. See? That's why when Jesus says, I am the truth, we understand that. What is the truth? The commandments are true and faithful and just, aren't they? Well, we know that God is faithful and true and just. See? We see all these similarities. So the issue in this controversy has always been over the law of God. That's the, the foundational argument. That's the, what the enmity is over. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3, 8, he says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. So he that committeth sin is of the devil. That's a very interesting statement, isn't it? But it's a true statement. What is the Bible definition of sin? Well, if you back up a few verses in 1 John 3 and look at verse 4, friends, you find actually the only Bible definition of sin. Now, people today, ministers, supposed ministers of the gospel, like to attach their own idea of what sin is to the definition of sin, but we want God to tell us what sin is, don't we? And we find it in 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is what? The transgression, the transgression of the law. It's law-breaking. And what law? You look at the context, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Okay. Now ministers can extrapolate and say, so I've heard some say sin is uh, a separation from God. That's what sin is. No, that's the result of sin. Okay? Don't get confused by that. So, according to John here, we're reading here, if you're living in sin, by definition, we're looking at this, by definition you are the devil's child. And, and you're telling the whole universe that you're the devil's child. You're telling all creation that you are. Because sin is the principle of his government. And when you sin, you're living under the principles of his government. And the devil, does he really care what commandment you break? He just wants you breaking one. When you break one, you are automatically registered in the membership books of the devil's church. <laughs> automatically. You can't say, oh no, I'm not. You're automatically there. If you break one or more, you're living that way. You're telling the whole world that you are the devil's child. You're not the seed of the woman. You are the seed of the serpent. Right? You can't be both the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, can you? No. You can't. Uh, it's an either-or situation, isn't it? You can't be 50% seed of the woman, 50% seed of the serpent. Well, Laodiceans, they're kind of thinking 50-50, aren't they? That's why Jesus says you're lukewarm. I'll talk about that in a few moments, but... It's an either-or situation, beloved. And that's why it makes sense when Jesus says, you know, if you're not with me, you're against me. See? That's why he says that. Here's a, a, a sentence out of the Signs of the Times, August 26th, 1889. 
Signs of the Times, August 26, 1889. She says, there must be, now get this, this is interesting how she puts this. She says, there must be open and avowed enmity between the church and the serpent, between her seed and his seed. She says, open and avowed enmity. It's not something, as a Christian, that is to be kept secret. People can, are to look at you and see that you're, you're the seed of the woman. Peculiar. peculiar. Yeah, peculiar. That, that you're the seed of the woman. It's open. You're to be a living witness, not a dead witness. You see what I'm saying? Okay, Andrea. I hear you chuckling back there about that. You see what I mean? I gotta quit saying that. I'm overusing it. <laughs> you understand? How's that? <laughs> okay. Well, I want to make sure that people are, are uh, comprehending what I'm saying here. So there are two groups. There is the seed of the woman. That's the true church. There's the seed of the serpent. The people who live in sin. The false church, I'll call it. They've never been the same, and they never will be the same, though Satan tries to make it look like they're the same. There is enmity between them. So all this, well, can't we just come together here and we'll, we'll, we'll worship together on, on those? We won't talk about the things we disagree about, but we're all one here together. We're all one church. No, we're not. There's enmity, and you're to see my witness openly in the enmity that I have for the devil's church. Okay. Now, don't misunderstand me. We're not to go around bashing and whatever. There are principles of evangelism, principles of how you witness, tact and love, etc. See, don't misunderstand me. Go, oh yeah, this is a mark of the beast, right? And right, no. Who's your audience? You got to understand. Okay. <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. Now, the story is going to get a little bit more complicated, but we have been promised the Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth. You need some help, Steve? Okay. You good? All right. So let's go back to John chapter 10. You, you see, the seed of the serpent, the synagogue of Satan, wants to call themselves Jews. This is what we're getting here, John 10. They want to call themselves Jews, or the church of God. That's what they, they want. They want to be a part of the professed people of God, and they want to be in the fold. Okay? They want to be in the church of God. But they don't want to exhibit the character of Christ. See? That's not the point. That's not, that's not, doesn't even enter in. But they believe salvation is just climbing into the fold. Okay? So, you look at what Jesus says here, in John chapter 10, verse 1, He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. What can we learn from this? There is a sheepfold. Okay? And if you enter into it by the door... You go through the door, you're safe. You're a sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. If you come in through the door, that's where the sheep enter. Come through the door. 
You're safe for eternity if you've entered into the fold through the door. Now, I'm not talking about once saved, always saved, because you could always turn around and walk out the door. Okay? But if you enter in the door while you're in the sheepfold, you're safe for eternity. Well, what is the fold? This is from a devotional book entitled In Heavenly Places. That'd be HP is the abbreviation if you're taking notes there, Susan. HP, page 324. Here's an interesting thing she says here. She says, The Lord can carry forward His work without our cooperation. (laughs) You know, I don't know about you, but I praise God for that. (laughs) Because I know how I am, and I praise God uh, that He can carry forward the work without our cooperation. He is not dependent on us for our money, our time, or our labor. But the church is very precious in His sight. See that? The church is very precious in His sight. Now notice in the next sentence. It is the case which contains His jewels, the fold which encloses His flock, and He longs to see it without spot or blemish or any such thing. Now, my understanding is I learned I had very good English teachers coming up, contrary to what my wife might tell you about how I use English. I had very good English teachers. In fact, my favorite English teacher is actually one of my friends on Facebook. She stays in contact with me. And it's my wife. No. <laughs> but, but no. I had a good English teacher. Well, I had a good English and I learned from her. And she has told me that I write very well. So I I felt really good about that. I thought, wow, okay. Anyway, but as I read this, I get that the church is called the fold and it encloses the sheep, which are the people of God. Did you get that? But I also get that it has spot and blemishes in it that someday God longs to see taken out of it. Does that sound fair? Did you get that from it? The problem we run into today is that people don't understand, they have a wrong definition of what the spot and blemishes are. Okay. They think that the spot and blemishes are not only wheat and tares, uh, together are tares and those things, but also open sinners. And that's not what God's talking about. All right? The fold Jesus is talking about here is the church. The church is the fold that encloses his flock. And as she says, it contains his jewels. And the jewels are his people, right? The fold is the church. But notice what Jesus says here. There are some people who do not go through the door to get into the church. They climb over the wall. And... Who are these who climb over the wall? What did Jesus call them? Thieves and robbers. robbers. Commandment breakers. Right? Thou shalt not steal. Isn't that a commandment? You could also call them, and they've been referred to this way, wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's what they are. And as we read, God longs to cleanse the church of these wolves in sheep's clothing, not open sinners, because they should be cleansed already out of the church. 
by the members, by the sheep, by the shepherds, the under-shepherds. So now, though, because it's this way, now you have a complicated situation, really. And many have become confused by it. You have the fold, and the purpose of the fold is so that the sheep might be protected, but now you have wolves in the fold. They have not gone through the door. They've climbed over the wall, and they're in there. They're in the fold. They're in the church. And those wolves are in sheep's clothing, and the sheep can't tell the difference, though they may suspect something isn't quite right. You know, animals get, they have this natural intuition of, like, you know, some people have defined it as smelling fear, you know, or sensing that something's not right, and that that's the way we are, isn't it? Sometimes you're like, something's just not right. I can't put my finger on it, but something's not right. And I call that a Holy Spirit thing. <laughs> it kind of, you know, something there going on, you know. But, but that's the way it is. Now, the, the Bible describes such thieves and robbers and wolves in many different ways, using uh, different metaphors, because the Lord wants it to be clear as to who they are and what they are. You know, he describes them in different ways to try to reach us and, and so we can have an understanding of it. Let me ask you, do you know what another metaphor, uh, do you know of another metaphor that the Bible uses to describe those who climb over the wall to get into the church, get into the fold? I mentioned it just a second ago. Tares. <laughs> Tares is another metaphor. The sheep are what? Wheat. And those who climb over the wall, those who are thieves and robbers, those are tares. Those who are, who are wolves in sheep's clothing, those are tares. They're also referred to as foolish virgins. They're also referred to as Laodiceans. There are a number of different metaphors for this. One thing is clear. They aren't the sheep. But they're in the church. See what I'm saying? But they're not the sheep. They're not part of the royal family of God like the sheep are. But they are in there. In the organization of the church. Even in the local membership book. You hear what I'm saying? They're not part of the true church of God. Though they may be part of the organization that's here on earth. Okay? Let me explain it this way. I've thought about this. Uh, the other night. I have a house. Okay? And in my house, I have doors and I have windows. All of my family always come through the door into the house. Right? And maybe it's the same with you. I don't know. You have to tell me. That's what the door is for. My family comes through the door. Um, that is the only way that anybody in my family ever comes into my house is through the door. Everybody in my family has keys. They unlock the door and they come into the house. Jesus gives his sheep keys to enter through the door into the fold. Okay? Thieves and robbers don't have keys. See? Now what if I go into my house and there's somebody there who doesn't have a key and he has come in through the window? Now, is he in my house? Yes, he's in my house, right? So he's in my house and he says, I'm in your house. 
So I got to be a member of your family because I'm in your house. Right? And I say, yeah, you're, you're in my house, but you're not a member of my family. You're a thief. You're a robber. Just because you're in the house doesn't mean that you're a member of the family. You're not part of my family. Does that help make sense of it? Those people who climb over the wall into the fold, they're not part of the spiritual church. Though they may have their names on the organizational membership books. And what, what the devil has done, he's camouflaged the truth so that people think just because I have my name in the membership books, I'm a member of the royal family. No, you aren't. You haven't been given the keys to the house. You haven't come through the door, you see. And Jesus said they're thieves and robbers. They're wolves in sheep clothing. They're, they're tares. And they are physically in the fold. And this is what God wants to cleanse out of the church. Like again, don't get confused. God is not talking about open sinners here. Tares are not open sinners. They look like the wheat. Wolves in sheep clothing are not sheep, but they look like the sheep. See, they're not open sinners. But let me ask you something. You know what happens when these tares get into the church? Well, the danger is that they, yeah, they sow seeds and they grow and they choke out the wheat because they become so thick. And it's a dangerous situation when you get wolves in sheep's clothing in the fold because they bite the sheep. We talked about this morning about being able to come into the Sabbath and rest. That's what it's about. Resting spiritually as well as physically. But when you come to church, you come to praise God and study and to worship God in unity. And you can't have unity when there's tension and there's backbiting as wolves do, see? And what happens is, because these wolves in sheep's clothing bite the sheep, the sheep get turned out of the fold. And the very people that belong there get turned out and the wolves take over. Okay? The tares take over the field. And the wolves take over the fold. And that was happening in Jesus' day. In fact, to understand this parable of Jesus about the fold and those who climb up over the walls, you know, the thieves and robbers, let's look at the context in which the story was given. Um... And just before this story was given, back up to John chapter 9, uh, Jesus on the Sabbath day, He'd healed a blind man. He restored his sight. And, and as you read in John 9 about this, as a result of confessing Christ, this man who had been blind, who says there in John 9, He says, whether he be a sinner or no, they were asking Him who, who had healed him. He said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Whereas I was locked out of the sheepfold, I have the keys. I can get into the house. This man was put out of the synagogue. He was disfellowshipped. When you disfellowship someone, you cast them out of the physical fold, right? They kicked him out the door. 
Ellen White says in Signs of the Times, December 4th, 1893, that's ST 12 4 1893, she says, In no gentle manner they thrust him out of the synagogue. The sheep was cast out of the fold for being a living witness to the power of Christ. And I was talking to Jerry last night and I said, You know, it's hard. You're raised in a church, you're raised with traditions, you have family. But if you're going to stand for truth and you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to come a point, and maybe several of them, you've got to make a choice. And if you're going to follow Jesus, remember we read in Genesis 3.15, there's enmity, isn't there? If you've got wolves in sheep's clothing running the sheepfold and you're standing with the keys, what are they going to do with you? They're going to love you? They're going to do what they did to this man. She said this man was a living witness to the power of Christ, and because of that, they threw him out of the sheepfold. If you're going to stand as a living witness to the power of Christ, and wolves are running it, they're going to throw you out. So you may... You know, not know what to do. You may be hesitant as to leaving. You may have some mixed ideas as to how I'm going to stay in and witness. But if you follow Christ, you're going out. There's a matter of time. But this is the context. You read chapter 9 and it flows right in. You know, they didn't, uh, in the original writings, they don't have chapters divided up. You read it right into what Christ is talking about here in John 10. And this is the, this is the context. The sheep is cast out of the fold for bearing witness to the truth. And I know and I understand, believe me, that it can be hard because we are emotional beings and we're social beings and we have, uh, we're tied together as human beings. But friends, we got to get over ourselves. <laughs> Our life, is it a life for ourselves or is it for Christ? And that's the ultimate question we got to answer, isn't it? Because God is going to ask us, do you love my son? And he's going to look at our fruits. Do we have the keys? <laughs> or did we climb over the wall? She goes on to say in that article, she says, Many have been cast out of the church whose names were registered upon the book of life. What's more important? The book of life or the church membership book? Now, don't get me wrong, it's important. The organization, the church was organized for service. That's what it's for. But what's more important? I want my name registered in the book of life. I want it to stay there. And then she says, Wolves in sheep's clothing were ready to cast out of the fold and devour one who was entitled to the Lord's pasture. Talking about this man in John chapter 9. Now, what should you do in a situation like this? Well, the way we, we find out what to do in situations like this is to look at what Jesus did in situations like this. What did Jesus do when this man was disfellowshipped? You can read it there in the last part of John 9. But let me share from that same article, that Signs of the Times article, Ellen White makes a comment about what happened after this man was disfellowshipped. She says, but Jesus... 
the true shepherd sought him and gave him a place within the fold. Now I'm going to repeat that again because we need to think about what's being said here. <laughs> this man gets thrust out of the synagogue. He was cast out for being a living witness to the power of Christ. He was cast out of the church. We read he was entitled to be in the church, but he was cast out of the church. And she says, but Jesus, the true shepherd, sought him and gave him a place within the fold. Well, now, that's a conundrum, isn't it? They cast him out of the church. He sought him, brought him into the church. Now, how does that work? <laughs> you know what I find very comforting about that? Is it teaches us right here one part about the character of God. Jesus sought after him. When Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus sought after them. He came looking for them. And praise God for that because we get the devil wants to beat us up with guilt and we don't want to see God because we're so ashamed. Okay? God comes looking for us. Praise God. Amen. But we need to think about this statement. How did Jesus do this? <laughs> they cast him out of the church. He gave him a place in the fold in the church. How did he do this? I mean... Did Jesus go to Caiaphas and say, Look, there's a man over there. I restored his sight. Yes, it was a miracle. I am God. <laughs> I restored his sight. Now your subordinates, what they did, they disfellowshipped him and I want you to get his name back on the church books. Is that what Jesus did? Is that the way Jesus placed him into the fold? Some people really need to rethink here and understand who and what the church is. Because it says here that Jesus gave this man a place within the fold. He gave him a place within the church. He was cast out of the physical church, the organization, who was supposed to represent Christ. But Jesus brought him into the fold. The spiritual church, the true church, which he was reorganizing on earth, essentially by calling the apostles, and he was reorganizing it based upon his organization. It had gotten away from it. They had stepped off the platform of truth. Friends, they rejected Him as the Messiah. Wherever Jesus is, there is His church. If you reject Jesus, you're not in the church. <laughs> the reason we need to think this through is that this is not the last time somebody like this was disfellowshipped. It still happens today. And friends, you and I have a responsibility to the sheep that have been mauled by wolves and have been cast out. We have a responsibility to give them a place in the fold where Jesus is the head. And Jesus has given them keys. We need to have the fold ready that they can come through the door. From Manuscript Release, Volume 2. That's MR2, page 274. 
With proper labor, many souls might have been added to the church who are driven from the fold into the wilderness of unbelief. Now, who is it that would drive the sheep out of the fold into unbelief? It wouldn't be the true shepherd. It'd be false shepherd, wouldn't it? But Jesus gave this man a place within the fold. Here's another one, Review and Herald. That's R.H., May 12, 1903. All the way along in the history of the third angel's message, there have been found among the believers men who have done much harm to God's cause. These men are spots in our feasts of charity, tares among the wheat, wolves among the sheep, ready to bite and devour. That is the spot and the blemishes that the earlier quote was talking about God wants to see removed from His church. It's not the open sin. Open sin is not to be in the church at all. So if you have a church that is, that is uh, uh, like the church at Corinth at one time, letting open sin be rampant within the church, you're not the church of God. You're a corrupt organization. And by definition, Babylon, fallen. Now, in this context, she's talking about the third angel's message. That's in our time, friends. So the fold is the place for the sheep, but there are wolves in sheep's clothing inside. And this is often called, and I'm going to, we're going to go through this in uh, some future studies, but it's often called the church militant because it hasn't been perfected yet. And I'm going to talk about the church militant in the future, I'm going to talk about the church victorious, the differences between them. Some people get confused. They think that right now, we, when you have followers in there, it's the church victorious. No, it's not. Because you have tares among the wheat. The wolves didn't get inside the fold the way the sheep got inside by following the true shepherd. Isn't that right? They aren't part of the family of God, though they may be in God's house. Now, Jesus says there's a door that the sheep are to use uh, to get into the fold. And I want to tell you, in the day of judgment, the only people who are going to be saved are the ones who come in through the door. You believe that? None of the people who climbed over the wall are going to be saved. They're going to be lost. You can't be saved unless you go through the door. And I want to spend a little bit of time on that symbol, the door. When Jesus told this parable... It says that they didn't know what he was talking about, essentially. In fact, in the Greek language, it, it, it uh, calls it not just a parable. It, it refers to it as a dark saying. And what it means by that is they didn't understand what he was talking about. It was dark to them. See, It doesn't mean it was an evil saying. Some people have interpreted it that way, and it's not. It's a one that it was hard to understand. And they didn't understand what he's talking about. But let's read the dark saying that they could not understand. We already read John 10 and verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth. Now a porter was someone who... The shepherds, they, they had corrals, you know, and they at night... 
they bring the sheep in and they may have uh, four or five different shepherds and they have corrals there. They corral all the sheep together and they, they go home and spend the night, but they had a porter or somebody who watched the sheep, so to speak, during the night while they're in the corral. That's what he's talking about. The porter, you know, to him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice. So when they come in the morning, they, they'd, uh, you know, say hi to the porter there. Thanks for watching my sheep. And they'd open it up and then he'd make his call and the sheep would follow him and he'd go out for the day to the pasture and whatever, see. So in verse 3 he says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. <clears throat> and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Some interesting things, really, that a lot of things you can learn from this parable Christ laid down. <clears throat> First of all, well, I don't want to get too sidetracked and get away from my emphasis, but um, I want you to notice that shepherds lead the sheep. They're not behind the sheep pushing them. <laughs> right? They're not lording themselves over the sheep. They're not telling the sheep, you go this way, this way, and push and push, and this is what you're going to do. And this. That's a hierarchical type of form of organization no they lead the sheep they're out front see as leaders leading the sheep and another thing the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and i'll probably get into that in a, in a few moments but but notice that they they know the voice of their their shepherd and they don't trust the voice of a stranger that's very important we'll get to that in a moment I want you to know that it's not enough to be inside the fold. All the people who go over the wall, even though they are in the fold, are going to be lost. They're not... Uh, well, in case of the wheat and the tares, they're going to be wrapped up in bundles and thrown into the fire. <laughs> See? If you want to be saved, you have to go through the door, friends. You can't go through the window. You can't go over the wall. You have to go through the door if you're going to be saved. And they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus started to explain. Drop down to verse 7. Notice what he says. Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. That's why I entitled this, Do You Hear the Door? <laughs> I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, it is important to belong to the church militant. That is physical, I would call it, church on earth. It's important to get into the fold, but it will not do you any good to get into the fold unless you go through the door. Thus being a true sheep and not a wolf disguised as a sheep. Right? I'm always amazed at the simple stories that Jesus told. You know, you can, you can really tax your mind on these stories for your whole lifetime. There's so many lessons. But I want to look more closely at what Jesus is teaching us for it can get confusing. That's why the disciples said, this is a dark saying, we don't understand it. Because Jesus says something here that is confusing, or can appear to be confusing. Jesus said, I am the door, right? He said, I am the door. Notice also that Jesus said, He is the good shepherd. 
He's the door, and He's the good shepherd. Now notice again what He says in verse 2. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What? <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the door, but then He says, I'm the good shepherd, and the shepherd goes through the door. Now you know why the disciples were saying, this is kind of a dark saying. We don't, what, are you, what are you talking about? I mean, they... They grew up in that kind of an economy. They know what pastures were and shepherds and sheep and that, you know. There's a double symbol here, friends. There's a double symbol here. Look at the symbolism Jesus is using. There is a door and the good shepherd goes through the door. And here's the question. If there is a door and if you go through the door, let me ask you this. Is there a time before you've gone through the door and is there a time after you've gone through the door? Yes, there is. I mean, yeah, Pastor, all that, that common sense, right? Think about that. Now, I'm not speaking. I'm not speaking about either the divinity or the Godhead of Jesus. Okay, so don't think that there's some supernatural things going on here, right? I'm not speaking about that, although it's a very interesting subject, and it is troubling Adventists all over the world. There's fanaticisms about it. But that's not the subject. But I will just mention in passing that this could not be referring to the divinity of Christ because there never was a time before the divinity of Christ. This parable talks about something that there was a time before. There was a time when he went through the door and there was a time after he went through the door. You see what I'm saying? Now concerning the divinity of Christ, Jesus assures us that there was never a time when he was not in close fellowship with the Father. There was never a time when the divinity of Christ did not exist. There was never a time before that. I mean, no matter how far back you go, He was there. He was in the beginning, as it says in John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't go before the beginning, otherwise it wouldn't be the beginning. Right? But some people try to do that. And try to get you to, uh, yeah, see, it was before that. No! <laughs> you know? So when Jesus says the shepherd goes through the door, friends, we're really entering on holy ground. Because I want to tell you, there's a time when Jesus left his throne in heaven and he came to this world and he became human. He took upon himself human flesh. In human nature like ours, he united his divinity with our humanity. Now, friends, this is the mystery of mysteries. <laughs> this is a mystery that we will be studying actually throughout all eternity. He became one flesh with us so that we could become one spirit with him. He went through the door. Okay? He united His divinity to our humanity and that is how He became the Good Shepherd who could reach clear down to the bottom of sin, this problem of sin, and pick up a lost sheep and take Him back to the fold. He had to go through the door. Do you understand what it means to go through the door? Just as He united His divinity with our humanity, our humanity must be united with His divinity or we cannot be saved. That's how we get the keys. That's how we go through the door. That's what it means to go through the door.
Your humanity must be united with His divinity. You and I, as it says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, must become partakers of the divine nature. And that is why Jesus used the symbol of being born again of the Spirit. When you're born again, you're receiving of the divine nature. You're receiving a new mind. You're receiving a new spirit, a new heart. Paul said all things are passed away. Everything has become new. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to go through the door. You, know, you, you may have been baptized with water. You may have, and climbing over the wall, that's kind of what those are, those rituals. They do the rituals, but they haven't gone through the door of Christ. Oh, they've been baptized with water. They have their name on the church book. But if you haven't gone uh, through the door, you're not saved today. You're just as lost as the people on the outside of the fold. And if you read the Gospel of John, it is in this book, over and over and over again, almost every chapter, this truth is taught in some way. Your humanity must be united with His divinity or you're lost. And that's what this story teaches. You have to go through the door. Jesus went through the door. He united His divinity with our humanity. We must go through the door. We must unite our humanity with His divinity. Otherwise, we've gone over the wall. And that's why there's so much trouble in Adventist circles today. We've got too many people who've gone over the wall. They've not gone through the door. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, and that's why there is so much backbiting. That's the reason so many sheep are getting mauled and turned out of the fold. That's why there's so many home churches scattered all over the world. The purpose of the fold is to, supposed to be to protect the sheep. <laughs> Are you one of his sheep? Where's our protection? In verse 3 it says that the sheep hear his voice. And it says he calls his own sheep by, by name and leads them out. And it says that the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You know, sheep are trained from an early age to recognize the voice of their shepherd. Many flocks from different folds, it's really an amazing thing. I mean, unless you've raised sheep, as most people in this country have never done, you need to understand the economy and the time that he was living in and what he's talking about. So you've got to do a little research. Sheep can come together. Many flocks... Different folds can come together at a watering hole and it may seem impossible to sort them out for each shepherd. <laughs> but all they do is call. They have a certain call. Each shepherd has a certain call. They have their voice. And the sheep separate themselves. Because they won't listen to the voice of a stranger. They listen to the voice of their shepherd and they follow him out. It's amazing. I remember... Uh, testimony by Pastor Brooks. He was over in Jerusalem and they stopped, uh, he was doing a tour and they stopped the bus and, and uh, for lunch, everybody had a sack lunch or whatever, you know, and they got off the bus and he noticed a, a watering hole and a bunch of sheep and some guys standing over there. So he went over and started talking to him. 
And they were the shepherds. And he, he said, how are you going to sort out your flocks? And they said, oh, they know our voice. And he said, really? And they said, yeah. And it, they were done watering and they went their different ways and made their call and the sheep just separated and went with the shepherds. Jesus wants us to be his sheep. <laughs> that means we've got to follow his voice. Are you hearing the master shepherd's voice today? Are you separating from the false shepherds, leaving their fold and following the true shepherd to the true fold? And this is something that's alarming to me because in Adventism today, there are so many people that for one reason or another do not recognize the shepherd's voice. And the Bible says if you are one of his sheep, you will recognize his voice. when He speaks to you through the testimonies of His Spirit, when He sends a special messenger to the remnant, when He speaks to you through the prophets and the apostles, you will recognize His voice. Not only will you recognize His voice, but also it says that He leads them out and the sheep follow Him. So they hear the voice, they follow where that voice tells them to go. If we have the inspired writings in our possession and we're not living in harmony with them, what does that say about our situation? Bible says we hear His voice and follow Him. And they, they won't listen to a stranger. If you're really a, a, a sheep, you will not listen to the voice of a stranger. It says they'll, they'll flee from Him, actually. And so, friends, we need to ask ourselves, what voices are we listening to? What voices are our children listening to? It's an amazing thing to me that among our, our dear people, people will be listening to all these different voices and then wonder why things happen and their children follow the ways of the world. What happened is that your children have been listening to the voice of a stranger for 20 years. That's what's happened. What do you expect? I know when I read the Bible and, and I read the, the writings of Ellen White, I hear the shepherd's voice. I don't have to question and have questions whether it's really the shepherd's voice or not. When I read the Bible, and her, I know it's the shepherd's voice. I recognize it. And if you're one of his sheep, when you read the Bible and you read the testimonies, you're going to hear the shepherd's voice. The question for all of us is, are we going to follow the shepherd's voice? Are we going to obey? Are we actually sheep or are we goats? And if any of you have had any experience with goats, you know that they don't listen very well. <laughs> My grandpa had goats. Stubborn, stiff-necked, just, I'm doing my own thing. I mean, you guys laugh, so I assume you noticed that before. Goats are not like sheep, are they? If you're one of, your, one of his sheep, you're going to hear his voice. You're going to follow him. So whatever he tells you to do through the prophets or the apostles or through the end-time messenger to the remnant, you obey if you're one of his sheep. And as you obey his voice, you have assurance of being with him forever, friends. Notice what Jesus says in uh, John 10, verse 27. He's, he says, My sheep hear my voice... 
And I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's an assurance, isn't it? And you know, the, the older I get, and the more times the kids remind me of how old I get, <laughs> the more I realize that the plan of salvation is so simple. I used to think it was so complicated. I mean, you got this big, thick book, and you read through this, and i got to do this and this. No, no, that's not the gospel, friends. That's not the gospel. I realized, not, really not that long ago, I think it was when Dad died, that the gospel is really simple. It's very simple. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a brilliant IQ. And you don't have to have a college education. But you need to hear the voice of the shepherd. And you need to follow and obey. It's really quite simple. And I boiled it down to, do I love Jesus? If I can say yes to I love Jesus, I know the rest will follow. I know I will recognize His voice. And when you hear His voice and you follow and obey, He's going to put you in His hand. And nobody is going to take you out of His hand. Nobody. Even when we make mistakes, He's not dropping us out of His hand. He holds us tighter. So we don't need to worry. Jesus said, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You have the promises of the Father and the Son. His government and His throne in heaven will have to be demolished before you can be lost. Do you understand that? That is remarkable. God would have to be destroyed before you could be lost. I tell you what, that's the strongest assurance that I've ever seen. But friends, if you want that assurance, you have to be willing to listen to His voice. So do you hear the door? And you walk through the door. Are you listening to the voice? Do you want to become a part of the fold? Friends, all you have to do is say, Lord, I hear the voice of the door and I'm willing to go through the door. I'm willing to overcome sin if you will unite my weak humanity to your powerful divinity. I'm willing to do it so I can overcome sin and can be one of your sheep. That's all you have to do. It's so simple. My heart aches for my younger brother who died because he couldn't see the simplicity of it. And I couldn't get him to understand it. You don't get cleaned up before you take a bath. You just get in the water. <laughs> you just go through the door. If you're willing to go through the door, you can be one of His sheep today. You can leave this building as one of the sheep. 
if you're willing to go through the door. And I want to do that. What about you? And we've got to go through the door every day, don't we? We've got to make that decision. I'm going through the door. But the neat thing is, God opens the door and He, he goes through it with us. We're never alone. If you want to be one of the sheep, I invite you to bow your heads with me now. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the lessons that you teach us. And we apologize for being so hard-headed sometimes. And we pray, Lord, that you forgive us. We know that you will. We claim the blood that Jesus shed. Father, we wish to be and remain uh, your sheep. And remain in the fold and in, in your hands for all eternity. Father, please bless us and continue to bless us as we go through the things that we do each and every day and the trials and things. And, and we pray for strength. Not only do we want to be sheep, but we want to be a living witness, no matter if it costs us fellowship or membership in whatever man has. As long as our names remain in the book of life, Lord, that's where we want them. And we pray for this in Jesus' name.